This morning, I'm bringing you a word from the Lord out of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 54, verse 17. Everybody repeat after me. No weapon weapon forged against you you will prosper. prosper. Look at your neighbor, say, no weapon weapon forged against you you will prosper. prosper. Look at your neighbor on the other side, say, no weapon weapon forged against you you will prosper. Today, I want to declare to you by the word of the Lord that no weapon forged against you will prosper. The promise of God is that everything that the devil tries to do to you is going to fail. Everything that the devil tries to do to you is going to fail. The devil will try many things in your life, but not one of them is going to succeed. No weapon forged against you is going to prosper. But the question that I need to ask you today is why does God say this to us? I mean, if God determined that he was going to ensure that no weapon forged against us was prosper, couldn't he just do it without saying it? Couldn't he just set us up to have a life of victory without having to tell us that he had destined us for a life of victory? You see, the thing that is important for us to understand today is that the reason God tells us that no weapon forged against us will prosper is because he needs us to know that that is his purpose. He needs us to know that that is his plan because it is in the knowing that we actually experience the fulfillment. And that when God makes a promise, the fulfillment of of that promise comes through the knowing of it and the believing of it. And so Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Whereas if you don't know the truth, it's still the truth, but it has no power to set you free until you know it. And so if you do not know that no weapon forged against you will prosper, if you don't receive the word of the Lord and actually believe it, then you set yourself up to see weapons that the enemy forges against you begin to prosper in your life, and you wonder why. And so God wants to bring us back to his word this morning to refresh our memories, to cause us to begin to know once again that no weapon forged against you will prosper. I want you to stop for a moment and think of the different weapons that the enemy is forging against you. I want you to think of the stuff in your life that seems like it's going to prosper. You know, whenever you're experiencing fear, it's because fear is the anticipation that one of the enemy's weapons is going to prosper. Fear is the anticipation that something that the devil is doing is going to squeak through God's promise and succeed. Fear is the anticipation that the enemy is going to overthrow me any day now. Fear is the anticipation that God's promise is about to fail and the enemy's threats are about to succeed. Fear is the anticipation that some weapon of the enemy is about to prosper in my life. But the word of the Lord today is do not fear. No weapon forged against you will prosper. Look at your neighbor and say, no weapon forged against you will prosper. Look at somebody behind you or ahead of you and say, no weapon forged against you will prosper. Every tongue. Say, every tongue that rises up against you, you will refute. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Look at somebody else say, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And your vindication is of me, says the Lord. I want to tell you today that you have a heritage. I want you to know that you have an inheritance, that you are sons and daughters of God, and this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. No weapon forged against you will prosper. Every tongue that accuses you, you will refute. This is your heritage, and today it's time that you rise up and lay claim to your heritage because you've been allowing weapons of the enemy to prosper for too long. And I'm here to tell you today that if a weapon of the enemy is prospering against you, it's because you're allowing it to prosper. 
If a weapon of the enemy has been forged against you and it is making progress, it's because you've been allowing it to make progress. It's because you have relinquished your heritage. But today you're going to reclaim your heritage and you're going to reclaim your inheritance and you're going to make a decision. No, no weapon forged against me will prosper. And there's some weapons of the enemy that have been gaining ground in your life and taking territory in your life, but you're going to push them back out of your life and you're going to push them back out of your territory and you're going to declare again that that weapon does not have a right to prosper in your life. Come on, somebody. Come on, are you hearing me today? Now, at the same time, we cannot be ignorant of Satan's devices. No weapon forged against you will prosper, but God wants us to know today what the enemy's weapons are. You see, Satan only has one weapon. He doesn't have a large arsenal. If you opened up his his, his arsenal, if you, you know how in the movies when there's an assassin in his house, he pushes a button and the wall opens up and there's this huge arsenal. And you know, the, 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 the real assassins, they got like, you know, the kitchen counter turns over and there's 15 machine guns and then open up a drawer and it flips over and there's 15 grenades. And then, you, you know, they turn the wall around in the den behind the bookcase and there's, you know, a bazooka. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? If you were to open up the devil's arsenal, you'd only find one little weapon there. He does not have a huge arsenal of 15,000 different kinds of weapons. He got one weapon. It's called a lie. All the devil can do is lie. He can't hurt you physically. The devil ever beat you up physically? He can't. All he can do is lie. And if he does hurt you physically, he got to you through a lie. See, he tried to destroy my marriage. How can he destroy your marriage? Through a lie. See, the devil only has one weapon, but he's a master of that weapon. I mean, he knows how to use that weapon in so many different kinds of ways that you think he's got many weapons. You think he's got a marriage weapon. You think he's got a physical body weapon. You think he's got a weapon against your mind. You think he's got a a weapon against your, your job. You think he's got a financial weapon. You think he's got an educational weapon. No, he's only got one weapon. He just knows how to use it in a, in, in an un, in an infinite number of ways. He knows how to use it to attack your marriage and he knows how to use it to attack your physical body. He knows how to use it to separate you from your from from your family members he knows how to use it to cut you out of the body of christ he knows how to use it to destroy your physical health he knows how to use it in a number of different contexts but if you would get it in your head and understand that you've got the key to overcoming that one weapon of the devil that it would stop prospering in your life now the enemy's got one weapon it's called a lie and that is if the if the only weapon the enemy has is a lie then that means that he has no access to you except through your mind. Because a lie can only attack you in one place, your mind. A lie cannot affect your physical body. It can only affect your mind. And the, and the, the key is that the enemy understands that whatever happens in your mind influences every other aspect of your life. What happens in your mind influences your marriage. You know, the Lord began to show me. I remember, you know, my wife and I had some conflict over the last few months, and the conflict just began to intensify and intensify and intensify, and I thought it was her fault. Can I get a witness? Any husbands in the house? You know, uh, husbands, let me just give you a little bit of revelation. It ain't her fault. It's your fault. Just, you know, anytime you think it's, your, it's her fault, you, you, you're missing God. But... But I, I sincerely believed it was her. I, I thought it was her fault. And, and, and here was the proof. The proof was she would be mad at me and I hadn't even done anything. I hadn't even said anything. I hadn't done anything wrong, but she was still irritated with me. And, and I was praying about that one day and the Lord said, your thoughts about your wife create the atmosphere of your marriage. And the Lord began to take me back through and show me that every time my wife was mad at me and I hadn't done anything, my mind had already gone sour. Before she said anything, I had already begun thinking negative thoughts. Already thinking, and I I didn't realize that my thoughts could affect the atmosphere of my marriage and that what she she was responding to me, she was really responding to the atmosphere created by my thoughts. And the Lord said, try this. Start thinking only good thoughts about your wife. Repent of all of the negative thinking about your wife and think only good things about your wife. Remove every form of accusation from your mind and see if she gets irritated with you. Guess what? It works. Your thinking influences every aspect of your life. You want to change your life? Change your thinking. 
And the great problem in the body of Christ is that we're trying to change behavior without changing thinking. Say, I got to stop doing this. No, you got to find out the thought that's giving rise to that action and stop thinking that. Because if you try to stop doing this without stopping thinking this, you're going to bring yourself into conflict with yourself. Because your mind is still going this way, but you're trying to pull your behavior this way. And your mind and your behavior will never move in opposite directions for very long. It's called snap back. You wonder why you snapped back to that same behavior after three weeks or two weeks or two months. Why? Because for that whole three weeks, two weeks, two months, however long it was, your mind didn't stop moving in that direction. You tried to change your behavior and all you were doing was resisting your own thinking. You say, I'm trying to resist temptation. No, you're trying to resist your own thinking. You're trying to resist what you're thinking. And that's why when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we've got to repent. And the word repent means to change your mind. It means to think differently. It means to make a decision. I'm not thinking that way anymore. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't be conformists. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Now, we must understand what Paul means by the pattern of this world and how it is that we're not to be conformed to it. There's two Greek words in the New Testament for world. First of all, there's the Greek word cosmos, and the word cosmos speaks to the physical world. But then there's the second Greek term for world is the word aeon, and the word aeon speaks to the age, the world as in this age. Paul uses the second term in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this age. Now, let me ask you a question. When did this age begin? What is this age? When Paul said, don't be conformed to the pattern of this age, when did it start? When did this age begin? I'm asking. Huh? When they invented the computer... So Paul wrote about an age that didn't start for 2,000 years after he said it. <laughs> when, when did this age start? Sin in the garden. The garden? Sure. Yeah. I like that answer. This age began in the Garden of Eden. And what was the event, the turning point that inaugurated this present age that Paul commands us not to be conformed to? When, when what? When who ate the apple? Don't say Adam. Yeah, he did eat it too. But the age had already started before he ate it. Actually, the age started before Eve ate the apple. Come on, somebody. Oh, you're with me now. You're with me now. I'm going to give you the 2013 Ghetto Fight translation of Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, here's how it went down. First of all, there was a talking snake. Now, I'm not saying that all snakes are demonic, although whenever I do see a snake, I just want to crush its head. Okay? But here's how to discern the difference between a regular old snake and a demonic snake. If the snake talks to you, it's the devil. If a snake ever speaks to you, do not have a conversation with that snake, okay? It's Satan, okay? That's just a little bit of a discernment tip there for you. So a talking snake approaches Eve and says, here's what he says. Did God really say that you can't eat from any of these trees in the garden? First of all, nobody said God said not to eat from any trees in the garden. He's asking a question that's obvious. Nobody, nobody said that. What is, he, what is he refuting? What is he talking about? Has, has anybody ever asked you a question? I mean, I mean, imagine it. Like, I walk up to you and say, does the Bible really say you can't eat fruit? Like, who said the Bible said you can't eat fruit? Where'd you get that from? Why would you ask me a stupid question like that? Eve entertains it. Well, no, no. God didn't say we can't eat any fruit. He just said we can't eat this fruit from this tree right here. She fell into the trap right there. Satan's trap was to get her to turn her attention to the thing that God said don't touch. 
She wasn't even thinking about it before he asked that question. See, we get this idea. A lot of people have the idea that Adam and Eve were walking around the garden looking at that tree going, Oh, I want to eat it. Oh, that tree looks so good. Oh, it looks more succulent than the other trees in the garden. The fruit, oh, I wish I could eat that. Oh, but that God, God said we can't have it. Darn it. Darn it. God said, no. God said, don't touch it. Don't eat it. If you eat it, you'll die. And they were like, cool. We're not coming near it. We don't want, no. God said, we're going to die if I eat. I'm not eating that fruit. I mean, when your mother told you that bush right there is poison. If you eat the little red berries on that bush, you're going to die. You know what I'm talking about? Little red berries. My mother, my mother said, don't eat those. Don't you eat those. Those, those berries will kill you. Those berries are poison. I wasn't walking around the backyard going, I wish I could eat those berries. Oh, I know I got a plum tree right here, but if I could just eat one of them little red berries. No, my mother said, they'll kill you. God said, this tree will kill you. And they were like, that's, that's all we needed to hear. We don't want that tree. And so when Satan came and said, did God really say? You hear that? Did God really say? Did God really say? You know, Satan can tell you a lie by asking you a question. Did God really say? The moment Satan says, did God really say? He's introducing a lie into your mind. See, the spirit of this present age is marked first and foremost by this rampant and pervasive agnosticism that says you can't really know. People are asking that question all the time. Well, is that really in the Bible? I mean, did God really say that smoking weed is a sin? I had a friend who asked me that. I haven't seen that anywhere in the Bible. Matter of fact, the Bible says he created all the trees. So if I smoke this one, I'm just enjoying his creation. Did God really say? Did God really? I know God said fornication is a sin, but what if we're just fooling around? I mean, did God really say? Did God really say that? Did God, did God really call you to the ministry? Did God really, did God really say that he wants you? Did God really, did God really, as soon as the enemy starts asking those kind of questions, the same kind of question that Satan asked Jesus in the wilderness. If you're the son of God, wait a minute, what do you mean if? That was never questioned before. Why are you saying if? (laughs) Embedded in that statement is, are you really the son of God? And underneath that statement is, you're not the son of God. The enemy starts asking you questions and suddenly stuff you were sure about, now you're confused about. Well, I'm not sure. Does God really love you? Are you really saved? Are you really his child? You know, the Bible has so many different translations and there's so many discrepancies. Are you sure it's the word of God? So many different copies have been made of it. Are you sure? Are you sure? And the devil doesn't need to get you to become an outright atheist. God doesn't exist. He'll be satisfied if you become an agnostic. Well, I'm not sure. Well, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I thought I was sure, but now I don't know. But, and that, little seed of confusion and by the way the bible says that satan is the author of confusion meaning if he were to write a book and he's written many it would be called confusion by satan lucifer (laughs) and the moment you begin to entertain his question you unravel the scroll of your heart and offer it to him that he might write his next bestseller. Second point. Well, I know God told you that you would surely die if you ate from that tree. You won't surely die. God knows that in the day you eat of it, you'll become like him, knowing good from evil. Do you know that up to that moment, Adam and Eve didn't know the difference between good and evil. You know why? Because they had absolutely no experience with evil. See, if you don't know no evil, you don't need to know the difference between evil and good. That's right. 
if you eat this, you'll become like God. Translation, God's holding out on you. This is a good thing that you should have, but you don't have because God has refused to give it to you. And the only way you're going to get it is if you take it for yourself. Satan only has one weapon. It's called a lie. But that lie only takes two basic forms. And we see both of them in the Garden of Eden. Right there in the beginning, the first thing God revealed to us about Satan are his two basic forms of deception. And every form of deception that the enemy brings is a variation on one of these two lies. Lie number one, you don't know what God is saying. You're not sure. You're confused. Lie number two, God is holding out on you. There's some stuff that he just refuses to give you. Those are the only two lies. All sin comes from one of those two lies. All forms of deception come from one of those two lies. If you get free from those two lies, you're free from anything that the devil tries to throw at you. And so what does Eve do? When she hears that and entertains it, the scripture says, then she saw that the fruit was desirable. It didn't look good until she believed the devil's lies. If you're fighting temptation, it's because you're believing the devil's lie. The sin doesn't look desirable until the devil convinces you that it's something you should have, that God is just not willing to give you. Young man, that girl looks pretty nice over there. God hasn't given you a wife yet. You might as well just go ahead and get yours. Oh, it got real quiet in here. <laughs> and so Paul says in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to the pattern of this age. The pattern of the thinking of this age has been conditioned by those two lies. That is the pattern of this age. It is a pattern of thinking that, that begins to declare, I'm confused. Whenever I hear believers say, I'm so confused. I don't know what God is saying. I don't know what God wants from me. I'm so confused. That's the pattern of this age. Don't be conformed to it. Don't let the devil squeeze you into that mold. I don't know what God wants. And I don't, let me tell you something. There's a difference between not having certain pieces of information and being confused. Because see, I don't know what I'm going to eat after church today. But I'm not confused. I'm going to eat something. And it's going to be good. I don't know where. I don't know what. But I'm not confused. And I don't know what time I'm going to go home tonight. But I'm not confused. And I'm not really sure what I'm going to do tomorrow. But I'm not confused. And I, I really don't know what's coming next week. I don't know when we're going to get our new building or how. But I'm not confused. You see, I, there's a lot of information I don't have, but not having a piece of information is not an excuse to get confused. Abraham, get up out of your father's house and go to the place I'll show you. Okay, God, where are we going? Go and I'll show you. How are we going to get there? Go and I'll show you. How far is it? Go and I'll show you. How many rest stops along the way? Go and I'll show you. How much provision should I take? Go and I'll show you. God, I need more information. No, you don't. All you need to know is that I said put one foot in front of the other and then the next foot in front of the other and the next foot and I will give you the information as you go. You need to begin to declare, I don't know where we're going, but I know that God said go. I don't know, but I'm not confused. Not knowing is not the same thing as being confused. And here's the key. When there's things you don't know, and by the way, there's a lot that I don't know. There's a lot of questions I'm going to ask God when we get to heaven. There's biblical questions I'm going to ask him. Stuff that doesn't make any sense to me. I'm a believer not because everything in the Bible makes sense. I'm a believer because I know that I trust Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the revealed things belong to us. 
stuff that I don't know, it's a secret thing. I let that belong to the Lord. But what I cling to is the revealed thing, and the revealed things belong to me. You need to begin to declare the revealed things belong to me. It's mine, and it's for me and my children forever. And so when I'm walking through a time in which I don't know some vital information that I feel like I need to know, I begin to cling to the revealed things. Listen, you got to learn how to walk in the light that you've got. And you need to learn to trust that the light that you have is enough. That whatever light God has given you, it's enough to get you through this season. I don't care if you only know one verse of scripture. That one verse of scripture is enough. If you know John 3.16, that is enough. Learn to cling to it. If you know Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's enough to take you through dry deserts. That's enough to pull you through rivers. That is enough to help you climb over high mountains. That's enough to, to cause you to fast 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Are you hearing me? Walk in the light that you've got and begin to declare, I know. I might not know what's next, but I know that in all things, God works together. God works for the good for those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. I know that God loves me and I'm called according to his purpose. I know that he's working it out for good. I don't know how, but I know that he is. I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I know. You need to begin to declare, I know. You say, well, I don't know. Well, forget about what you don't know and start to declare what you do know. Amen. Focusing on what you don't know doesn't cause you to know it. Amen. You're no closer to knowing it because you're worrying about it. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single cubit to his stature? You know I'm preaching when I'm sweating like this. Begin to say it. I know. I know you got places in your life where you feel like you don't know. But stop focusing. Because see, this is the thing. We can fixate on the places where we think we don't know something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I need money. I don't have no money. I don't know. I don't know what God's doing in my marriage. I, just don't, know. I don't know. Pattern of this world. I don't know. What do you think about God? I don't know. 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 Jesus might be God. Might be Buddha. Who am I? How do I know? I don't know. I wasn't there. conformed to the pattern of this world. Two, wor- two phrases that you should remove from your mouth from henceforth and forevermore. Number one, I don't know. Number two, I don't have. I don't have any money. I don't have. I don't have a, I don't have a job. I don't have. Well, maybe you can do this. Well, I don't have, I don't have a degree. I don't have a degree. I don't have any education. I don't. I don't have any time. I don't, I don't have any time. I don't have anybody to support me. I don't, I don't have. I don't have. Do you want to be healed? Well, I don't have anybody to help me into the water whenever the water's. I don't have. I don't have. I don't have. You know what I can't stand when believers say? I can't afford it. I can't afford it. I can't afford it. I can't afford it. Translation God hasn't given me enough. I mean, some things I need that I can't afford because God hasn't provided for my needs. God just hasn't given. You know what you should say instead, I can't afford it? My priorities are elsewhere. What God's given me is enough. Let's go on a vacation. I can't afford it. No, 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 uh, uh, uh. You can't afford it. Actually, you can. You can afford whatever you determine you're going to afford. No, because you'll say you can't afford $100 for something, and then you'll spend $1,000 on something else that you want. You figured out a way to make it, you know, you, you know we, we can do it. When it comes to something you want in the flesh, we can do it. We'll make it work. We'll stretch it. We'll stretch it. It's going to be tight, but we're going to make this work. But when it comes to giving to the Lord, we can't do it. I can't do it. I can't afford it. I 
I can't afford it. I can't. I just can't. can't. I, I, I can't. No, my priorities are elsewhere. My pro- that's, not in, that's not in my budget. My budget is my stewardship over the resources that God has given me. If God gives me $10 a month, I'm going to declare that $10 is enough. God, and I won't say I can't afford it. I'll say God is going to stretch that $10 and he is going to, he's going to provide for my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Whatever I have is enough. It's enough. And if somebody says, let's do this, I'll say, that's not in my budget. Translation, it's not a part of my stewardship. I'm not stewarding it. No, it's, it's not that I can't. I, you know when you see a homeless person on the street and say, you got any change? Sorry, I don't have anything. I don't have, that's not true. You got something, but I'm sorry, but you're not in my budget today. I just say no. You know why? Because when the Lord says give to that person, I give. Even if I don't have it, I find a way to give. But if the Lord doesn't tell me, say, I'm sorry, but this isn't in my budget today. And I don't say that. I'll just say no. There's a difference between no. It's I don't have, I don't have anything. I don't have it. You're telling a home per- homeless person you don't have anything? You got a house? <laughs> no, I, if I don't give, it's not because I can't. I can. Even if I needed to go to the bank and take out $20, I could. If that's what the Lord told me to do. You know, there have been times when the Lord told I remember one time, somebody, you know, Sister Rhonda made me some, some soup. or She made me some, a meal. And she brought it in my office. It was all wrapped up. Here, Pastor, this is for you. I said, thank you. Thank you. And I, I, I was in my car, and I was driving home. And as I was driving up uh, one of those streets over there, there was a homeless person on the corner, and the Lord said, give him that food. And you know what I did? I was like, that would dishonor Sister Rhonda. And I passed him right by. And the Lord said, and the Lord said, you turn around and you go back and you give that person your food. And you know what? I hung a left. I hung a right. I hung a, I mean a left. I hung four lefts and came back to that homeless person and gave him the food. I can do it when the Lord tells me to do it. But there's also something called being a steward. And being a steward means I'm believing that what I have is enough. I'm declaring that what I have is enough. And instead of crying about what I don't have, I'm going to rejoice and steward what I have. And I'm going to declare the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What are you doing wanting? What are you doing wanting? What are you doing wanting? Go back. If, If every believer in the body of Christ simply lived out Psalm 23, the body of Christ would be a different place. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You ain't got no business wanting for anything. And this is the key. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And the first thing the devil tried to convince him was that he wanted for something. Turn these stones to bread. Translation, the Father hasn't provided you no bread. You might as well do it yourself. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Translation, even though I haven't eaten in 40 days, I'm still nourished. Why? Because I learned to eat his word. When I ain't got no money, I've learned to eat the word. And when I don't have any food, I've learned to eat the word. And even in my worst situation, I've learned to declare The Lord is my shepherd. I have enough. Why? Because the moment Satan convinces you that you're confused and you don't have, now the stage is set for lust to set in. Uh Eve saw the fruit that it was desirable. Now that fruit looked tasty. And it was useful for obtaining wisdom. And when she saw it, that was when the present age began. That moment that lust was conceived in her heart, the present age began. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 talks about the corruption that's in the world through lust. The moment lust entered the world, corruption, things began to decay and die. Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already. It is that lust, that desire that already begins to cause things to decay. But that lust comes from deception. And so Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Now let's take that word for a second. He said, be transformed. 
Be transformed. It's a command. It's an imperative mood in the Greek. Be transformed. You better be transformed. It is your responsibility to be transformed. I am commanding you to be transformed. If you are not transformed, there's no excuse. God commanded you to be transformed. It is your responsibility. Now, how many know that God never commands you to do something that you don't have the power to do? That's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. God always commands you to do stuff that you don't have the power to do. Matter of fact, the opposite is true. God never commands you to do something that you do have the power to do. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if God commanded you to do something that you could do in your own power, you'd do it without faith, and it wouldn't please him. So when God gives you a command, he's setting you up to please him. But the only way you can please him is if that command requires faith. And so God is constantly giving us commands which we are responsible for, but powerless to complete. Be transformed. What are you going to do? Wake up in the morning. Okay, I'm going to transform myself. You ain't got no power to transform yourself. How about this one? Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Try that one on for size. How about this one? Be holy as I am holy. Do you know what it means that God is holy? You ever read Isaiah 6? The angels are in his... You know what? First of all, you know what holy means, right? Different. That which is holy is mind-blowing. That's what it literally means. Not different like, well, that's different. He's wearing a different shirt than she's wearing. No, different as in mind-blowing, as in out of control, as in off the hook, as in never seen anything like it anywhere. So literally in, in Isaiah 6, when the angels are saying holy, it's like they're standing in God's presence and they're going, whoa, holy, oh my God, this is crazy. This is that, are you seeing this? This is out of control. And I got proof. It says they cried it out to one another. To one, they're like, holy, do you see that? That's holy. That's crazy. That's out of control. This is another level. Sorry, my, sorry about that. That's why people don't sit in the front row when I preach. Now, the Bible says, be holy as God is holy. Has anybody ever walked into your house and looked at you and went, whoa, my man, holy, out of control. This is crazy. Do you see this guy? I don't know about you, but nobody does that to me when they see me. My wife does it, but in a negative sense. <laughs> Look at you! No, I'm just kidding. Are you serious? <laughs> she calls. She named my gut the onion. She said, because every time I see it, I cry. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just... <laughs> my wife didn't deserve that. No she, she, no, she loves me. She speaks well of me. I'm just, I just threw that in there to entertain you. So God says, be transformed. Be transformed. So if God commands you to do it, but you don't have the power to do it, how's that going to happen? Every command of God takes you outside of the realm of your own capabilities. But inherent within every command of God is a promise from God. Because if God commands you to do it, but knows you can't do it, then he also releases the power to do it on your behalf. So he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind as the spirit of God renews your mind you're transformed and that transformation takes you outside of the realm of conformity to the pattern of this age which means that the spirit of God renews your mind by extracting from your thinking the two points of deception that are characteristic of the spirit of this age he renews your mind by removing from your mind any sense of confusion and bringing you into the place of clarity And he renews your mind by removing from your thinking any traces of lack, that poverty mentality. we got to break that poverty spirit off the body of Christ. Let me tell you something. Poverty has nothing to do with your bank account. The worst thing that happens, the worst thing that can happen to someone with a poverty mentality is that they can get money. I watched a documentary the other day called Broke. And it was about professional athletes who go broke. Do you know that 70% of professional athletes are completely broke two years after they complete their careers? 70%. You know why? Because they have all the money in the world but a poverty mentality. 
And a poverty mentality always says, I don't have enough. A Vander Holyfield built a 50,000 square foot house and then lost it to foreclosure. He went broke. He owed more than the house was worth. Everything was taken away. Everything. And you got guys who made hundreds of millions of dollars and now live with their mama in the ghetto again. Okay. Why? Because money did not solve the problem. The problem was the mind. A poverty mentality says it's not enough. It's not enough. One of those football players, he said, I was completely broke and then I got cut. He said, I had spent every dime I made and then I went to, the, went to practice one day and my coach told me that I was cut from the team. I was at the end of my career, it was over, and he gave me a $50,000 check, and that was my severance pay. That's it. I had $50,000 left. He said, on my way home, I passed by a Hummer dealership. (laughs) And I saw the new Hummer had just come out, and I had to have it. He said, so I walked into that dealership and dropped $45,000 for that new Hummer. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. It's a poverty mentality that's killing people. And anytime you start, anytime your mind is focused on what you don't have, you're operating in a poverty mentality. And that is the spirit of this age. The spirit of this age. Focus. I don't have this. I need this. I want this. God hasn't given me this. So I'm mad at God. I'm angry with God. Why? Anyone who's mad at God is mad at him about what he didn't give them, and they don't realize that they've gone all the way back to the garden and started having a talk with the snake. I told you, if a snake speaks to you, don't entertain it. You're listening to the talking snake. If you're upset with God, if you think there's something you need that God hasn't given you, you're listening to the snake. The snake is talking to you. The snake is to... Don't let a snake tell you what you need. Jesus said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For all of these things the Gentiles are seeking. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you as well. For which one of you by worrying can add a single day to his life? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin, yet I say to you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as one of these. If this is the way the Lord arrays the lilies of the field, which are here today and tomorrow are thrown into the oven, how much more will your Father adorn you, O you of little faith? Therefore give no thought to tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. For the Father knows what you have need of before you ask. Get this in your spirit today. So much of what you're asking God to do is redundant because he's already done it. Instead of asking God to do, you need to begin to declare what he has done. Jesus is not going to come back and die on the cross for you again. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As your mind is renewed, you begin to identify the weapons of the enemy for what they are. And as your mind is renewed and those two forms of deception are removed from your mind, suddenly you begin to prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. And so often when we talk about the will of God, we focus on what God wants us to do. Let me tell you what the will of God is. The will of God is what he wants you to think. It's about your thinking first and your behavior secondly. And he wants you to know that he loves you. He wants you to know. He said, my sheep hear my voice. A stranger they will not follow. God wants you to know that you can hear his voice. He wants you to know that you know the truth and no lie is of the truth. He wants you to know that you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. He wants you to know that you can hear from God and you can obey him. And he wants you to know that he has richly provided for you everything to enjoy. That he is free. That my God will provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And if you begin to know those things and stand on those things and be established in your thinking on those things, 
you'll never fall. You'll never stumble. You'll never stumble. You'll never fall. You can make it through anything if you're established in those two fundamental truths. And the establishment in those two fundamental truths, that's how you fight the devil. When Paul said the shield of faith quenches all of the fiery darts of the evil one, they didn't have guns back then. They had fiery darts. And the, the enemy's fiery darts are lies. But I'm telling you today that no weapon forged against you will prosper. No weapon. No weapon. No weapon forged against you will prosper. The enemy's only got one weapon. It takes two forms. All it is is a lie. Manifests in two forms. He's really only got two lies. You don't know, and you don't have. God hasn't shown you, and God hasn't given you. But you have victory over those lies today. You got authority over those lies today. You got authority over those lies. Come on, I want you to stand up on your feet and begin to declare that you have authority and victory over those lies, that no weapon formed against you will prosper, that every tongue that rises up against you, you shall refute. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is of me, says the Lord. Father, we give you the praise. Come on, just begin to worship the Lord right now. Just begin to praise him. Begin to declare your freedom. Come on, come on, come on. Yes, Lord, it won't work. No weapon formed against me shall prosper it won't work no weapon formed against you shall prosper it won't work no weapon come on sing formed against you shall prosper it Listen to this. God will do what he said he will do. He will stand on his word. He will come through. I said God will do what he said he will do. He will stand by his word. He will come through. No weapon. Come on. to the Lord right now. Father, I pray for a special dispensation of your work right now. I pray for a tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit right now, that you would bring about a shift in our minds, a shift in our thinking. And you said to Cyrus that you would go before him to make the crooked places straight. And God, I pray that you would go before us right now to make the crooked places straight. But it's the secret, it's the crooked places in our thinking that you want to straighten out. Every crooked thought, every power of deception that has entrenched itself in the minds of your people, I pray that you would renew our minds right now. I pray that you would renew our minds. I pray that you would set us free right now. Break it, break it, break it, break it, break it, break it, break it. In the name of Jesus, I come against that lie of the devil that says you're confused. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You don't know what God is saying to you. You don't know what God is saying to you. You don't know what he wants from you. I just break that off of your life right now in the name of Jesus, and I bring you into clarity. Come on, get free of that lie right now. I rebuke confusion in the name of Jesus. That spirit of confusion that says, I don't know, I don't know. No, you're going to begin to declare, I know. I know that my Redeemer lives, and I will stand with him on that day. I know. I know. 
Come on, begin to declare it. I know. Come on, say it like you're preaching it. I know. Come on, I know, I know, I know. I know. Some of you need to begin to scream it. I know. I know. I'm not confused. I'm clear. I'm clear. I'm clear. I'm clear. I just release a spirit of clarity in the name of Jesus. Clarity in the name of Jesus. I come against that agnostic spirit in the name of Jesus. And I replace it with a spirit of faith. By that same spirit of faith, we believe and therefore we speak. You're going to speak from a spirit of faith and not from unbelief. You're going to speak from a spirit of clarity and not confusion in the name of Jesus. Come on, declare it. Declare it, declare it, declare it. In Jesus' name. Now come against that lie of the devil that says, I don't have. You don't have. God hasn't provided for you. God hasn't provided for you. I rebuke that lie of the devil right now. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I rebuke. You're going to begin to rejoice in your inheritance. You're going to begin to rejoice in your inheritance. Some of you single people, you're, you're mad at God for not giving you a husband. You're mad at God for not giving you a wife. Some of you married people, you're mad at God for the wife he gave you. You're mad at God for the husband he gave you. Whatever it is, I'm breaking that lie of the devil off of you right now in the name of Jesus. You're going to rejoice in your estate. You're going to begin to declare, I've got a lovely inheritance. I've got a lovely inheritance. What God has given me right now, where I am right now, what I have right now, it is good. It is good. It is good. If you're single, it is good to be single. If you're married, it is good to be married. Come on. Come on. Begin to declare it. You say, God hasn't given me money. Whatever you have, it's enough. I declare it. It's enough. It's enough. You're going to begin to thank God for what you have. You're going to begin to thank God for what he's given you. You're going to begin to thank God. You're going to begin to thank God. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Come on, begin to declare it. I have. I have all that I need. I have all that I need. I will abound in every good work. I will be thankful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now just begin to rejoice in the Lord. Just begin to worship him with your voice. Just begin to worship him with your voice. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Everybody sing it again. No weapon. Come on. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. It won't. Now, in declaring that no weapon formed against you would prosper, what you're really declaring is that these lies no longer have any power over you. See, because the devil only has one weapon, it's a lie. It means if you don't believe what he says, he has no power over you. The only power he has is in your belief. And when you believe what he says, you come into agreement with him, and you come into agreement with his plan for your life. But when you believe what God says, you come into agreement with him, and you come into agreement with what God has planned for your life. We are renouncing our agreement with every demonic proposition and every satanic plan. We will have no agreement with it. But our agreement is with God. You know how powerful it is to agree with God? God said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And Abraham said, I agree. That's all he did was agree with God. And God said, you're righteous. And you're the father of faith to all who believe. Begin to agree with God. And you'll never stumble and you'll never fall. Father, I speak your blessing over this people today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bless this people with grace, with strength, with great encouragement. And with the power to walk in the truth. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise. 